The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. COVID 19 pandemic continuing coverage on 630 Chad. Okay, it's 3.40. Let's head to the legislature. Uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw going to give her daily update. Jason Kenney, the premier there as well. Looks like the news conference is starting, though, with um, Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addiction Jason Lawan, who is the MLA for Calgary Foothills. We'll head there right now. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. I'm pleased to be here today to join Premier Jason Kenney and Dr. Dina Hinsha for today's COVID-19 update. I'm here to talk about mental health and addiction recovery during COVID-19. I want our burdens to know that we're here for you. All our burdens have experienced an enormous shift in their daily routines due to the public health order in place to keep us safe. In addition, The global pandemic impact on our economy has meant that many of you lost your jobs, taken pay cut, or have other financial concerns that kept you up at night. The stress, anxiety, fear, loneliness, and concern is something I can relate to. On the other hand, we've also seen our province once again come together in the way that we always do when we face with difficult times. We hear stories after stories about how our burdens across the province finding ways to taking care of their mental health needs. How they've reached out to each other to check in, how they've found ways to support mental wellness of their friends, family, and kids. Whether it's through video chat, phone calls, or online peer support, we see a lot of that. We also see many examples of small business stepping up to support our burdens across the whole province. In fact, it became quite evident to me that COVID-19 has brought a renewed focus on mental wellness for our province. It's a spirit of Alberta that we see on the evening news, in the sidewalk chalk, in the window signs, and between friends. Above all, this has been a reminder to us, taking care of our mental wellness is more important now than ever. Prior to COVID-19, we started building a recovery-oriented system care that focused on getting our burdens well, building their resilience and giving people hope that recovery is possible. In the face of COVID-19, we'll continue doing so by focusing on, once again, the resiliency of our burdens and the Alberta spirit, while working hard with our stakeholders to develop a comprehensive response. Now, it's my greatest pleasure to invite Premier Jason Kenney to speak. Thank you very much. That was Associate Minister for Mental Health and Addictions, Jason Lewan. Thank you very much, Jason, uh, for your commitment to helping Albertans coping with mental health and addiction challenges. Before I talk about today's announcement, I'll provide an update on the COVID-19 pandemic and our fight against it. The number of infections in Alberta and, of course, across Canada and the world continues to grow. 
In Canada today, there are more than 28,000 infections and uh, in Canada today, and the death toll now exceeds 1,000 nationally, and recovered cases are at nearly 9,000 nationally. The number of confirmed infections in Alberta increased by 126 over the last 24 hours to a total of just under 2,000. Today's tally does not include new, probable or recovered cases, which I understand the reporting of which has been held up by uh, an information technology issue. Thankfully, no new deaths have been reported since yesterday, so the total of fatalities remains at 48. The most encouraging news in Alberta continues to be our relatively low rate of hospitalization and ICU admissions. Today, 44 Albertans are being treated for COVID illness in hospitals and 10 in intensive care units. Those numbers have been stable uh, for several days. In fact, the ICU number is down slightly. Uh, and they continue to be well below the uh, numbers projected in AHS's uh, modeling that we presented a week ago. A big part of the success stems from Alberta's early adoption of aggressive testing. Alberta's per capita testing rate is higher than any other province and among the highest levels in the world amongst large populations. As of today, we have conducted 82,534 tests, averaging roughly 1,900 per day. The plan is to ramp up testing even further in the days to come, which will be facilitated by uh, Dr. Hinshaw's announcement earlier this week about expanding the eligible population uh, for those who can receive testing, including all of those who are exhibiting uh, cold or flu-like symptoms. Thank you to all Albertans for your uh, the essential role that you are playing in uh, delaying or de and uh, limiting the spread of the virus in our province. All of us now, from time to time, and in varying degrees, have been, I'm sure, suffering uh, emotionally and psychologically from these extremely trying circumstances. On top of all of that, many Albertans are out of work and facing real anxiety about their financial security. In a recent public opinion survey conducted by our government, we just received the results yesterday, so this was done over the past week, and it indicates that 74% of Albertans feel that their mental health has been impacted by the pandemic, and 34% report that they are feeling, quotes, depressed or hopeless at least some days uh, every week. Many people are feeling nervous, scared, or lonely. And almost half of those surveyed are worried about their future. Our message to Albertans today, especially to those feeling psychologically or emotionally overwhelmed, is that help is available. Alberta's government understands the mental health impact of the crisis, that the impact is real, and, that, and uh, it must be met head on. If some people, uh, and in fact we know that some people undoubtedly will be turning to alcohol or drugs to cope with some of this pressure, and that will obviously have ser serious implications for increasing uh, addictions and all kinds of related health issues. That is why I am very pleased to announce today that the Government of Alberta is investing 53 million additional dollars into mental health support to help Albertans cope with the COVID-19 crisis. With this funding, we are launching a comprehensive mental health and addiction COVID-19 response plan.
This is by far the largest investment in mental health support for people coping with the pandemic in Canada. In fact, the $53 million additional investment that we're announcing today is more uh, than all of the other provinces' COVID-19 mental health responses combined times two. So this is by orders of magnitude the largest investment in supporting uh, mental health and responding to addictions uh, at this very tough time. I'm told um, this investment, excuse me, this investment is on top of the $140 million uh, of additional spending uh, that uh, the government began to implement uh, last year following the election uh, in support for mental health services and addiction programs. It will hugely expand Albertans' access to online and virtual mental health and addiction services, supports and resources, no matter where people live in Alberta. Our plan includes expanding the capacity of existing helplines, such as the Addiction and Mental Health Helplines, the Kids Help Phone, the Crisis Text Line for Alberta, and the Community and Social Services Helpline, which is 211. The funding will also expand online resources and platforms that provide advice and support and help to connect people directly uh, to counselling. It will also strengthen access to the person-to-person -person online community where folks who are socially isolated can find sympathy and support amongst others who are dealing with similar issues. And they'll be able to access support 24 hours a day, seven days a week from Alberta Health Services addiction and mental health clinicians when people need it. Later this spring, we'll also be launching a new online platform that will provide mental health screening, self-help guides, and direct support for counsellors if needed. Excuse me, direct support from counsellors uh, for people who need it. And we'll be launching a grant program providing up to $25 million to community groups that deliver mental health and addiction recovery services. Many of these groups specialize in helping people with unique needs in our society, including uh, seniors, the homeless, uh, families, uh, Indigenous people and others who may be suffering due to the pandemic and the economic crisis. Charitable, non-profit, faith organizations and small community groups are all eligible to apply for this funding uh, to help us deliver mental health support on the ground to those who need it. Because some families isolated at home by the crisis are struggling with acute levels of domestic stress, the plan also provides additional funding, funding to the Alberta Health Services Family Violence Services. This uh, AHS service includes addiction and mental health treatment and support. It will be available province-wide, including for Albertans in rural, and remote and Indigenous communities, where social isolation may be uh, even more challenging than it is in our cities. Finally, this mental health plan will increase addiction and services in primary care networks. Uh, this will include group, individual therapy, and virtual therapy provided by mental health and addictions professionals, as well as primary care physicians. 
As I mentioned, our government was elected on a platform that included an additional investment of $140 million to deal with severe mental health and addictions issues that our province has been experiencing for years. I want to be clear, today's $53 million investment is in addition to and on top of the $140 million surge in resources uh, to help people cope with mental health challenges and addictions. That earlier commitment, uh, under which 4,000 new treatment spaces are being created in facilities all over the province, underscores how seriously Albertans take these issues. And, and that is echoed in the mental health pandemic response plan that we are announcing here today. We don't yet know when the pandemic will end or when we'll be able to start easing up on economic and social restrictions needed to contain the virus. That all depends, as I said in the televised address last week, it all depends on the choices that we make as Albertans individually and collectively in the days to come. In the meantime, and over the long term, let me tell you this for certain, that Alberta is there for you. If you're feeling anxious, depressed, scared or lonely, if you feel you can't cope or, or take the pressure any longer, if you're turning too often to alcohol or drugs, please know this, that help is available. You can call the Alberta Mental Health Helpline at 1-877-303-2642. Again, that's 1-877-303-2642. If you didn't get the number, you can Google the Alberta Mental Health Helpline. We are making sure Albertans have the mental health and addiction supports that they need during and following this crisis. So please reach out. There is help for everyone. Before I turn things over to Dr. Hinshaw, I'd like to share uh, another piece of important news. Um, the Provincial Operations Centre, as was announced yesterday, will be distributing an enormous amount of personal protective equipment uh, to uh, important workers and uh, institutions across the province. Our first priority has been on ensuring adequate uh, personal protective equipment for the frontline health workers in our hospitals. Thankfully, because the number of COVID patients being hospitalized is lower than projected, and because we have exceeded our already ambitious targets on acquiring new equipment, we have not only been able to share additional uh, medical equipment with other provinces who were in dire need, but also with uh, institutions serving the public here in Alberta. And that includes uh, 4 million masks to all AHS, AHS, Covenant Health, and subsidiary facilities. Over, start, we started shipping on Monday over one and a half million masks to 941 long-term care, designated supportive living and addictions and mental health facilities, as well as home care providers. Uh, and the primary care networks, which includes physicians, midwives, pediatricians, gynecologists, obstetricians, and uh, compounding pharmacies, will be receiving 1.1, uh, have received the shipments to date, include 1.1 million gloves, over 240,000 masks, over 41,000 gowns, and over 44,000 face shields. Uh, there's also planning to provide 
147,000 masks and 2.4 million gloves to 1,470 community pharmacies. As well, planning is well underway uh, for um, the delivery of uh, 1 million masks and 1 million gloves by approximately 400 municipal first responder agencies. That would include, for example, uh, fire departments. Uh, and 11,000 canisters of wipes are being sent to 84 seniors' long-term and extended care facilities. Uh, as well, um, the community respiratory therapy shipments will be distributed this week by the Provincial Operations Centre of the Alberta Emergency Management Agency. And uh, full shipments of personal protective equipment is being sent to over 100 addictions and mental health agencies. I want to remind people uh, that if you're in a working in a facility like that and you think there's a shortage of equipment, uh, of personal protective equipment, we encourage people to reach out to the Provincial Operations Agency uh, to request equipment, they can do so by emailing the, at the following address, um, P-E-S-S-E-C-C, -S -S -E that's P-E-S-S-E-C-C, -S -S -E slash logistics at gov, G-O-V dot A-B dot C-A, and I'll ask our uh, team to please put that address on the um, comment section on Facebook so people can find that. A couple of other quick notes. Um, I know there is some uh, frustration with the announcement by the Minister of Agriculture and Forestry yesterday regarding further restrictions on uh, access to certain uh, forested crown areas, including for off-highway vehicles. And I understand that frustration. Spring is coming. Is coming people want to get out there and recreate in our beautiful uh, backcountry. Uh, but let me be very blunt why this decision was necessary. Um, we faced massive wildfires last year, which risked uh, human life, caused an enormous drain on our emergency resources. We had to fly in extra firefighters from all across the world, actually, as far away as Australia, to cope. It also created a massive deterioration in air quality for Alberta. Just remember where we were uh, last summer. Well, we can't afford to replay that this spring and summer with the pandemic emergency that we're already uh, challenged with. Um, and in particular, we, we know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that some of the wildfires in recent years have been created inadvertently uh, by OHV off-road use, and uh, as well as, uh, as of course, uh, campfires in, in the backcountry. We cannot risk, we have to do everything we can possibly do to prevent wildfires this spring and summer more than before for a couple of reasons. One, uh, our normal wildfire crews, many of them are going to be in quarantine uh, so that, uh, and we can expect a number of them will have to be self-isolating if they have cold or flu-like symptoms. So our workforce, our available workforce to fight the fires is way below where it would normally be. Secondly, we will not be able to fly in uh, supplementary uh, firefighters from across Canada or around the world because of travel restrictions. So we are going to have a much smaller wildfire uh, force than we typically do because of the restrictions around the pandemic. And, um, and finally, we cannot risk a massive deterioration of air quality when we're coping with um, a, uh, a virus 
that attacks people who already have a compromised respiratory systems. That could really f further add to the burden of our healthcare system at this time. So we're all having to make various kinds of sacrifices and one sacrifice we ask some people to make is to delay their normal enjoyment of the outdoors on OHVs uh, for uh, a, a period of time. Hopefully we can begin to relax these things once we get into the summer. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to explain why those decisions were, were necessary. We don't do any of these things lightly. Uh, we only do them because they are necessary to protect public health, safety, and ultimately lives. Um, I also want to say we appreciate the um, decision by the Bank of Canada today to uh, commit to purchasing up to $50 billion in provincial bonds. Um, this has had the immediate effect of reducing our average borrowing rate uh, as a province by about nine basis points, and that uh, builds our confidence about our liquidity, our ability as a province to pay some of these extraordinary bills uh, to cope with the crisis. So uh, with that, I am pleased to uh, hand it over to Dr. Hinshaw for her update. Thank you, Premier. Good afternoon. I'd like to start by giving a bit more information on the service disruption we're experiencing today that has impacted our monitoring of COVID-19 cases. Late yesterday, we experienced a data centre outage at the Ministry that has shut down our data feed from the provincial lab. Teams have been working through the night to restore services. However, we have not been able to restart that data feed. Our teams were able to determine the number of tests conducted and lab-confirmed cases since yesterday's update, and we are reporting that information today. Once the issue is resolved, we will release complete data, and we expect that to be available as part of tomorrow's update. We recognize that many Albertans are interested in the daily COVID-19 data and appreciate your patience. As the Premier indicated, we have identified 126 new COVID cases today. This brings the total number of cases to 1,996, though this is preliminary at this time. No new deaths have been reported since yesterday. As expected, we have seen an increase in testing numbers as we have expanded testing to all Albertans. Those who are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 who live anywhere in the province can be tested by going to the Alberta Health Services online assessment tool. We have completed 2,853 tests over the last 24 hours. Tomorrow, we'll have updated information on cases as well as the latest numbers for recovered cases, hospitalizations, and continuing care reporting. Today, I would like to report a new outbreak at the Curl Lake Oil Sands project north of Fort McMurray. Currently, three people connected with this work camp have tested positive for COVID-19. Six more individuals connected with the work camp were tested yesterday and are currently isolating. Their results are expected shortly. Alberta Health Services continues to work closely with the company to implement outbreak procedures at the site and to minimize any risk of transmission. These procedures include appropriate cleaning and infection prevention, as well as continued emphasis on following my guidelines for managers and operators of industrial work camps. This includes a focus on physical distancing, 
isolating any employee who has COVID-19 symptoms and limiting gatherings as required. I thank the employees, managers, camp operators and employers for their continued diligence to keep these camps functional and contributing to Alberta's economy positively during a very challenging time. We will continue to update you on the situation as it evolves. I'd also like to provide an update related to meatpacking plants in southern Alberta. Over the past few weeks, there have been a few different meatpacking plants that have had cases of COVID-19 reported. You will recall that a few weeks ago, we talked about a Harmony uh, plant, and that has been resolved. Local public health has worked with that location, as well as a location in High River, as they do at any work site where exposure may have occurred, to ensure that any close contacts are isolated for 14 days, and to prevent transmission in the workplace. As I have previously said, COVID-19 is not a foodborne illness. There is no risk to the public from food produced at these facilities. The facility in High River is experiencing a need for increased testing and to accommodate this, Alberta Health Services will be opening a dedicated assessment centre there in the coming week. This will be accessible through the Alberta Health Services online assessment or for those without internet access by calling 811. Even before that dedicated assessment centre is open, anyone in that area can access testing by going through that online assessment tool or by calling 811 if you do not have internet access and you will be directed to the testing site closest to you. For all businesses and workplaces, continuing to operate during this pandemic as essential services, I would like to emphasize the importance of following public health guidance and recommendations to limit the risk to staff and the public. This includes performing hazard assessments for all duties and undertaking steps to control the risk of transmission of COVID-19. Finding alternate ways to hold essential meetings of large groups, such as teleconferencing, and implementing business continuity plans to prepare critical operations for any potential interruption. I encourage business owners to visit the Alberta COVID website for additional workplace guidance on how they can protect themselves, their staff and their patrons. Before I conclude, I would like to recognize the importance of the additional funding for mental health supports announced by the Premier today. These additional supports will help Albertans during these unprecedented times. As I mentioned yesterday, we are all grappling with the impacts of this pandemic in one way or another. No matter what you might be experiencing, whether it's grief, anger or anxiety, these are normal feelings. It is important to take whatever steps necessary to acknowledge and process these feelings and protect your mental health. I encourage you to reach out to your family and loved ones and support each other and to reach out to any of the services mentioned today that you may need. Every day, I am moved by the stories I read of Albertans looking out for each other, finding ways to connect, and maintaining a sense of community. I read of Ringette, Alberta, which, after being forced to cancel its season, launched virtual playoffs to reward players and teams for good deeds, such as doing chores or helping others. I also heard of Shakir Duraj, whose Calgary bakery has been delivering loaves of bread to seniors and others in need, with hundreds delivered to people's doorsteps free of charge since the middle of March. Thank you to all.
all of you for doing your part in helping to make these challenging times easier for others. We will get through this together. Thank you, and we will be happy to take your questions. Okay, we'll get the Q&A started. Operator, can you please put through the first caller? Uh, first question is Rick Bell with the Calgary Sun. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Dr. Henshaw and, and Premier Kenny. Um, Premier Kenny, uh, the Stampede, the Calgary Stampede is still not decided on their plans for next year, for this year, I should say. Can you actually imagine a scenario where a July 3rd Stampede could go ahead? And the Stampede has said they continue to remain paused on this decision until they receive, quote, further direction from our government partners. Well, considering what we're told every day about what we should be doing with social distancing and other measures, what is the direction of your government to the stampede on uh, them possibly hosting an event that starts on July 3rd? Well, I'm not going to... two-part question. Sure. Thanks, Rick. Uh, first of all, let me say that the Stampede is an important part of Alberta culture. It's a tr tradition that goes back well over a century. And I understand, if I'm not mistaken, that the only time they didn't run the Stampede was in 1918 because of the Spanish uh, flu influenza that year. Uh, I'm not going to improvise a direction uh, to the Stampede or other events. <clears throat> Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, we are not in a position to relax the public health orders, including the uh, limitation on crowds or the social distancing uh, rules that we have put in place uh, for the time being. Uh, on the positive side, we have seen lower than expected levels of hospitalizations and ICU admissions. Uh, but uh, we need to see continued uh, success in the fight against COVID. Uh, and in the days to come, I anticipate that uh, our Emergency Management Committee of Cabinet will uh, sit down with Dr. Hinshaw and uh, uh, other experts to receive advice on, on what guidance we should give the uh, major summer events. I see a number of summer uh, festivals uh, have already uh, cancelled. We regret to see that. I can understand them. They've got to make decisions about whether they, they spend money now for events that might be happening two or three months from now. So uh, let me just say this, Rick, uh, I'm not going to improvise an answer to, to that question, but I do commit to, to, to you, to the Stampede, and to other major summer events organizers that we'll seek to give them uh, some direction uh, in the very near future. I'm looking over at Dr. Hinshaw and she's nodding, so. All right, operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Dean Bennett with the Canadian Press. Go ahead, Dean. Thanks. Uh, Dr. Hinshaw, can you uh, just elaborate on some of the numbers or the trends the Premier was referencing off the top? So I noticed that while the cases are going up over the last two weeks, the number of hospitalizations have been pretty much steady in the 40s and the, I and the ICUs have been steady in the mid-teens. Can we draw any, uh, what are your observations on that? Can we draw any conclusions from that or projections from that or is it still too early? So that's exactly right. We have seen as we've expanded our eligibility for testing as we expected, we have seen an increase in cases because we are testing more people. Uh, but as you note, our hospitalizations have remained relatively steady. And this week I've been working with our epidemiology team uh, to track the hospitalization trends in a bit more detail. As you note, uh, you can see that the total number of 
cases in hospital that we report every day has remained relatively constant, uh, but that number is a function both of new admissions to hospital as well as how long people stay in hospital. So for example, if someone comes into hospital and only stays a couple of days, uh, they're only counted on those two days, but if somebody comes in and they stay for three weeks, they count every day in that total count. So what we need to do is look at not just those total hospitalized on a day-to-day -day basis, but what the new hospitalizations are and what that trend tells us about transmission in the two to three weeks prior to that point. And that's exactly the work that uh, I'm, I'm doing with my epidemiology team right now. And we hope to have something that's available for the public to see on those trends by the end of the week. Uh, but those trends in this early work do seem to be roughly stable, similar to these other numbers. And so again, I would anticipate that uh, by late this week, we will have more to say about hospitalization trends. But what I would also say is stable is good. It's better than rising. Uh, but what we'd like to see are those trends decreasing. And so far, we're, we're not quite seeing that yet. Uh, but again, we're doing some work to break that apart. And I hope to have more to say at the end of the week. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is David Staples with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, David. Hi. Uh, most, of course, around the world, most schools are closed down. There's a few exceptions to that. I'm wondering, uh, in terms of getting back to school in Alberta, what are the key things that you're going to be looking at? Um, what numbers will you look at in terms of kind of making that decision? Will it be like hospitalization rate as you were just talking about? And also, are plans now being developed for going back to school in terms of protocols, which we see in some other countries? Um, are you putting your minds to that and what might some of those protocols be? So thank you. I will take that question. Um, so. We know that school, returning to school, will uh, be a very big decision and it will be taken in conjunction with other decisions around reopening parts of the economy, opening services, uh, lifting restrictions, and so that is going to be a part of those discussions that the Premier referenced with respect to the Emergency Management Committee of Cabinet and uh, proposals that and recommendations that I will be taking forward having worked with my team uh, about what kinds of things, and again it would be trends such as hospitalization uh, data. Over the coming weeks we anticipate having better data now that we are making testing available to all Albertans. So we can also look at our case counts across the province and use that data going forward to see how we're doing in limiting the spread. And so I would say that schools again are not unique. Uh, we will be considering reopening schools along with reopening all other segments of the economy and timing of that uh, and planning of that will be an, an integrated part of, of that relaunch strategy as, as the Premier has indicated. With respect to the protocols for returning to school, uh, when we do get to that point where we feel that it is appropriate to return students to school, uh, we would absolutely be continuing to emphasize regular hand washing, keeping anyone who's ill home. Uh, we've been talking in the past couple of weeks about increased use of mask wearing when people aren't able to be within uh, further apart than two meters of each other. So that would be something we'll need to be talking through with respect to consideration 
operation of schools and if that's a part of the recommendations. And all those again are things that we're going to be having more discussions about over the coming weeks to make sure that we are able to provide clear direction to schools, uh, but we're not at that point yet. Uh, and so those are just considerations and we will be coming forward again uh, when we've had time to talk that through with the Emergency Management Cabinet Committee and have that clear plan and clear direction. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Emma Graney with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, Emma. Uh, yeah, g'day, guys. I want to take you back to uh, the Curl Lake um, oil sand camp here. Um, there's a few issues here that I'm just going to roll into one big, long question. So, ready yourself. Um, so, you talk about hazard assessment. What does that look like on an oil sand site? Can you even actually socially distance on these kinds of sites? And are you still okay with the fact that folks are flying in and out of like work camps from all over Canada, um, often they're in closed quarters, et cetera. Is that still an acceptable mode of transport and operation of these camps, given now that we do have confirmed cases? And just to Kenny on this, are you still considering oil sands essential, especially given that we've seen a crippling demand shutdown? So can I, the first part of that is for me, second for the Premier? Okay. So with respect to how they do risk assessments in those camps, it would be similar again to any work site. Uh, absolutely the fact that there are people moving in and out of those camps from other provinces uh, is something to be included in that assessment. Uh, the local Alberta Health Services public health team is working very closely with this particular camp that's identified cases. Uh, and we have been working to make sure that there is access to testing uh, and again that the camps are aware of exactly what protocols need to be done with respect to isolating anyone who is feeling ill uh, and then doing again kind of enhanced cleaning protocols. We have provided very specific guidance to work camps on the, the website of alberta.ca um, with respect to the, the COVID management of work camps and trying to reduce the risk. Uh, the challenge, of course, is, and I will leave to Premier to talk about the specifics of, of the oil economy, um, that because of the nature of these work sites, it's not possible to do that work without having people come in to do it. Uh, and so again, we are working with those sites, with those operators to reduce the risk, uh, but the consequences of, of shutting down would be significant. Uh, and so we're doing our best to make sure they have all the information that they need and the guidance they need to operate in the safest way possible. Just to supplement that, I, I concur completely uh, with Dr. Hinshaw, and uh, we, uh, it is very clear to the government that the operation of those plants is an essential service, uh, and but at the same time that every possible protocol must be taken to ensure their safe operation. Uh, and uh, indeed, we've been focused on this uh, since the pandemic began, uh, working with major oil sands producers and uh, other operators of critical infrastructure to ensure uh, access to add to the infor information that they need um, uh, and um, seeing if they need particular assistance with potential quarantining of, of workers or uh, PPE um, and and other issues in fact we're going to be discussing a whole package of measures at the uh, emergency management C committee of cabinet tomorrow to uh, help to sustain the operation of critical infrastructure uh, but uh, Emma you're turning uh, simply shutting down those camps is 
a lot easier than it uh, it sounds a lot easier than it actually is because uh, in the case of for example um, many of the in situ SAGD uh, projects uh, they obviously need a, a, at least a basic crew to operate those plants and if they don't have that basic operation and they actually have to turn the plants right down uh, in some cases it can cause permanent damage to their reservoir and with that uh, lose or jeopardize billions of dollars of assets which are absolutely central to the operation of the provincial economy. So uh, this is not something that we can take lightly. The the enormous economic long-term risk of, of simply by fiat shutting down uh, uh, SAGD projects in particular uh, could be devastating uh, to the province for years years to come. And so our preference instead is to mitigate risk on the public health side with the measures that we are taking. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. Hi, this question is for Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, the limits on prescription drugs mean that many people have to go refill the prescription every 30 days. How concerning is that for seniors who are trying to stay safe? So the requirement for people to fill prescriptions uh, only for 30 days as opposed to 90 is something that's being done to help manage the drug supply and make sure that there's enough medication for all those who need it. And I recognize that that can be a burden for some people. Uh, with respect to seniors, what I would encourage people to do is to see if their pharmacy has delivery services. Uh, many pharmacies do offer this kind of service and so that would be something that people can check and see if that's available to them. Uh, and then also if people have uh, friends or family uh, or neighbors who are willing to run errands for them, then that's something that that person could ask someone to pick up their prescription for them. So the requirement to pick up every 30 days doesn't necessarily mean that the people who are getting the prescription have to leave their house. So again, I would, I would encourage people to explore all of those different options. Uh, and if there is no one else who can go for them and they do need to go out themselves, uh, then again, things like going just from their home directly to that location, making sure they're washing their hands frequently, making sure that they're two meters or more away from others. Uh, and if they do have a mask they can wear while they're out, um, again, that would be more to protect others. Uh, but ideally, if they're able to stay two meters or more away from others, uh, it would mitigate the risk to them. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Robert Tuttle with Bloomberg News. Go ahead, Robert. Yes, hi, um, uh, Premier, I just wanted to get your reaction. There appears to have been a court uh, judge has ruled uh, against Keystone, I think in the States. Um, they ruled with the Sierra Club. I wanted to get your reaction to that. And I'm sorry, on, on the curl thing, I didn't hear clearly. Did you say three people, uh, three cases and seven people isolated? It Is that correct? Uh, well, Dr. Hinshaw will just uh, to check her figures and get back to you on that. On the first question, okay. I haven't heard about uh, any uh, court judgment. I do know that there was a hearing scheduled uh, for April 14th at, uh, uh, before the same judge who had uh, previously enjoined uh, KXL. Um, and uh, the legal advice that both we and uh, TC Energy had received was that uh, uh, the second presidential permit was completely lawful and fully compliant with uh, presidential power 
empowered to permit uh, a project of this nature uh, and uh, that the, uh, the legal risk uh, posed by the challenge to the second presidential permit was very low. Um, uh, so if there's been a new judgment, we'll obviously please give us time to uh, uh, read it and assess it and, uh, and then before we make comment on it. Would you like to sp uh, specify the Curl situation? So in terms of the oil sands work camp, it's uh, three confirmed cases and six that are currently being isolated and tested. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? Next is Kevin Nimick with CTV Calgary. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi there. We've heard from several long-term care centers that have tried to buy their own testing kits to swab residents and workers. Has there been any further discussion since yesterday uh, regarding testing everyone at the home to try to permit further outbreaks? So I would really caution long-term care operators from purchasing kits on the open market and then trying to perform those tests themselves. Uh, just because testing equipment has to be calibrated, it has to be evaluated, uh, and so it would be, I think, uh, quite challenging if they're trying to do that themselves without laboratory training and assistance. We are absolutely making testing available as promptly as possible to all long-term care, continuing care sites across the province when anyone experiences even mild symptoms. I am aware that in other provinces there is work underway to test asymptomatic people in those, in those contexts. But what I would say about that is, again, as I have said before, if you test someone who has no symptoms, it's just a snapshot in time. It does not indicate whether or not that person may go on to develop COVID two days later, four days later. Uh, so it is not a guarantee. It is not a, a safety net. You can't test every person who presents at that site uh, as a way of trying to have a safety barrier around that site. Uh, we are discussing if we do have capacity after we've implemented this uh, expansion of our testing across all of Alberta to those who are symptomatic at the highest risk of transmitting. Long-term care sites certainly are a focus and a priority where we would consider starting to test some who are asymptomatic, particularly in sites where there is a known case in either staff or residents. But again, I think it's very challenging for sites to try to, to take on testing themselves without any coordination with our health services and I would, I would strongly caution against that. And if sites are feeling that they do not have sufficient access to tests for residents or staff who are symptomatic, I would encourage them to reach out to Alberta Health Services because it is our goal to ensure rapid testing to any of those sites so that prompt action can be taken with any positive results. Okay, we have time for two more. Operator, can you please put through the next caller? And Jason Herring with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Jason. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, I know yesterday we saw a big increase in Calgary numbers. Um, I, I don't know if the numbers were today, but is this something that you're worried by or that Calgarians should be worried about? Or is this just a product of the expanded testing having come to Calgary first? So it looks like there are a couple of things happening. So absolutely one of the things that's happening is we did expand to all of Calgary last week. And so we are seeing increased numbers in terms of people presenting for testing in Calgary and we would expect that that would increase the numbers. However, over the, the past week, we've also seen a slight increase in the percent of testing.
tests from Calgary that are coming back positive. So Calgary had been sitting at about 2% positivity and they are uh, moving up to closer to 3 or just above 3%. Uh, so that's something we're watching very closely and again I'm working with my team uh, who is looking at those numbers and trends to understand where that transmission is happening and to make sure that we can provide advice to Calgarians around specific activities that may be associated with transmission. Uh, but again, it's a little early to be able to provide that specific analysis. So certainly something that we're concerned about. I don't know how many of the new cases today are from Calgary, just given our data issues today. Uh, but absolutely, it's something that I am watching very closely and again, hope to have more information later this week about some of the trends that we're seeing in that particular city. Okay, operator, can you please put through the last caller? Stephanie Rousseau with Radio Canada. Go ahead, Stephanie. Hi there. Uh, we're hearing of an outbreak at the GBS uh, facility, and I'm just wondering if you can confirm that, and do you know how many cases there are? Sir, can you repeat the name of the facility? Yes, Brooks. JBS Brooks. Uh, JBS, yeah. So uh, we have been informed about uh, several cases in Brooks. Uh, with uh, there may be a linkage to that particular plant. Local public health is doing an active investigation and working to determine uh, what linkage and what kinds of processes may be required. So again, um, this is something that local public health is actively investigating uh, and I would anticipate more information in the days to come. Okay, and the Premier has a brief statement to make before we wrap things up. I just, uh, unfortunately there were no questions about our historic investment in mental health support, uh, but I did want to thank Minister Luan and his team uh, for working very hard over the past uh, three weeks to put together a very solid package and once again uh, want to invite community-based organizations uh, to, uh, if they believe they can support people with, uh, in terms of mental health and addictions, uh, there is a $25 million uh, fund available for them to apply. All of the details will be available online. Just wanted once again to thank all of those who put that package together. Thanks very much everyone. All right, that wraps up today's news conference, the update on COVID-19. Just before we get to the 4.30 newscast, uh, what you heard was uh, the government putting an extra $53 million into mental health supports in Alberta. Uh, Eileen will have more on that coming up as well. There's been an outbreak of COVID-19 at an oil sand site north of Fort McMurray at the Curl Lake Project. Uh, three people, three cases have been confirmed there. Six more people are being tested and in isolation and you'll remember we talked about this and the concerns around that with the uh, the mayor of Wood Buffalo just a few weeks ago and I know a number of you have who've been working in uh, in in the, uh, the the oil sites have been questioning about oh, what about us and and what are the the rules around this so interesting that um, that it's now happened. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that one uh, as well. I can tell you the numbers. 126 new cases of the virus, no new deaths being reported today. We'll take a look a little bit closer at those numbers, plus head to City Hall for a news conference coming up.